This is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Hey, I'm Sailor. I am hey, I so see a new face. excited because <laughs> I have a friend here with me. But Yay! <laughs> before we talk about my super special friend, I want to talk about some of my other super special friends. <laughs> How special is he? <laughs> I mean, Ed. pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> <I get it. laughs> um, so we have some really awesome friends that our that are our Patreons, if I can speak fucking English properly. Um, and we want you to be a Patreon too. We have so many cool things to send you, all kinds of merch and fun stuff from me. You get handwritten notes, and some people that have already purchased merch can attest to this. Guys, I think you got some handwritten notes from me too. I didn't decorate them as cool as what our listeners get, but trust me, they're cool. We're also going to um, have some behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody else will hear. Um, we give you a shout-out on the show, and depending on the level, you can be a guest on the show, which is a lot of fun. I mean, come on. You get to hang out and drink with me. I mean, Matt and Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so visit our Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can also find the link in our Instagram and our Facebook group. And uh, Ed. All right, listeners, on this show, we battle albums, musicians, and sometimes whiskey. Tonight is no different, and we will be discussing another signature Seattle band from the 90s grunge movement. So the battle will go like this. We will be battling 1992's album Dirt against the 1995 self-titled album, if you hadn't guessed yet, by the band Alice in Chains. mentioned before we have a special guest tonight and that is none other than my friend a super rad comic book author and overall fantastic person my friend travis holyfield yay hey, hey, hey. Hey. Welcome, travis. Welcome. <laughs> thanks for having travis. it's nice to be here i'm excited mm-hmm. to have you on the show i'm excited to be on the show yeah, so, she told us a little bit about you, and I was kind of kind of excited to meet you. Not gonna lie, sounds oh, like snap. you do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. she so may have heard something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know exactly what, what building she said. you up. Building you up. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like the key with me is really keep your expectations it's real low. And anything I do, you'll be like, wow, I'm pleasantly surprised in his behavior. No, it's all truth. It's all truth. All good things. Um, I happen to own your comics, and um, I'd love for you to tell the listeners about them. Surely. Uh, so I write comics. My latest series that just came out this year is called Street Clothes, which is a five-issue miniseries uh, about an ex-supervillain. She is retired. She's still a criminal, but she's no longer wearing her costume. She's out of that life, but she gets pulled back into the costumed world for one last big heist. So the tagline that we use with it, yeah, it's it's a fun book. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a supervillain noir, neo-noir thing. You know, lots of swear words, lots of punching, everything that makes comics great. Uh, and the tagline we use is that it's Jessica Jones meets Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. So it's, that's the kind oh, of energy I'm sold. I'm trying I'm to sold, sold that description. <laughs> it's and it is. Yeah. I really, when I got it, I was like, that is such a good, perfect description. It's exactly what it felt like. Right on. Yes. Well, thank yes, you yes. very much. Yes, and I did not give that one to my nephews, by the way. Thank you for the heads up. I got remember that I got so excited because you of your did. other comic. So oh yeah, because <laughs> I have another I do an all ages series called Doberman, which is basically Batman, but it's a dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, which sure by, by many ten year olds is a really awesome idea. <laughs> that uh, is awesome. But, you oh, know, poor, poor Stittler had, had seen, you know, the, the first couple of Doberman comics. And then when she knew I had a new series coming out, she was all excited. Oh, I'm going to give this to I'm going to give this to my nephew. I'm going to give this to this kid. And I was like, no, 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 no. There are a lot of dirty words in that book. Uh, there's, I mean, it, it makes Scarface look like the sound of music, you know, just in terms of the language. Uh, it's like a really big ass shot like right in the first issue like uh you know oh that's that's yeah i've been through like swear word swear word oh that's a butt so uh (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean i'm not telling you how to raise your kids you do what you want with them but i'm just you know i gotta say that's all yeah my oldest nephew at this point that would nothing would shock him kids the i mean he's he's gonna be 15 in june and uh he's seen it and heard it all Oh, yeah. It's just the world, unfortunately, a that we live in. A 15-year-old and the internet, they've seen it all. Yeah, yeah. I was I at a say. comic convention last year, and <laughs> fortunately, it didn't happen to me. It happened to the nice guy who was tabling next to me. But this guy came up to him with his whole family, and he had, I think she was like eight or nine, his daughter. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's seen every version of Stephen King's It that's been out there. Like, you know, oh. love the love series loved the you know she loved the t- the new one that just came out and i'm sitting there next to this guy going like that scared the shit out of me really you showed that to your and then he's like yeah the other day like i you know i opened the the, the refrigerator door and this apple rolled out and it was red like the balloon and she's like you'll float too daddy ha ha <gasps> and i'm next to him like oh, i don't know that's God. not ha ha like Dude, you're fucking uh, your kid up that's like Smoke i'm not sleeping that sleeping night either pillow man <laughs> like that's that's not gonna end well for anybody in that house someone found that dad with the apple in his mouth done for Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can you even call DCF on somebody just because they're walking through a comic convention? I oh, mean, man. the phone this, call this would be like, almost sounds this kid like has seen all of the It movies. Okay, we'll be right there. Exactly. Yeah. Right <laughs> for there. All we needed to know. It no sounds more. like a setup for a new comic series right here. <laughs> <laughs> Scary Little Girls Monthly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, 
It's not just those two comics, Travis. You've also written for other comics, correct? Yeah, I mean, those are those are my projects that are really just under my own steam. Um, but I've also written for a bunch of different anthologies. I got my start working uh, doing anthology stories for Greyhaven Comics. Um, they're doing less of them now, but they were doing a lot of really cool anthologies where they were pairing up new writers and new artists and also showcasing them in issues that also had established um, writers and artists doing stuff. So the very, very first thing that I ever had see publication is a tiny little two-page story that a, a buddy of mine did the art, but in that same issue is uh, Gail Simone, who's uh, an amazing writer. She uh, She's written Deadpool for Marvel. She's written um, uh, pretty much everything that you would want to read at DC. She's done some Iron Man. She's done the, She just did a, a Flash story, um, but she pretty much brought Batgirl back from kind of extinction and made that really great again. So my first book it, my, that I ever had something published, she's in the same issue. So that was kind of a cool so experience. Cool. Yeah, oh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Doing, you know, That's maybe awesome. uh, a, I don't even know how many, a bunch, probably close to a dozen different anthology stories. One of which in one of the issues was a small five issue series about this fake Batman dog character named Doberman. And uh, the response to that little five page story was really good. So the publisher said, Hey, do you want to do a full issue of this? And I said, yeah. So I jumped at that and uh, we've been going from there. So, uh, so yeah, the Doberman books, uh, we've got two volumes out. That's probably where it's going to sit for right now. Uh, the artist on the book is an incredibly talented guy who uh, is doing a ton of work for British anthologies right now and uh, would rather do like some really cool, you know, 2000 AD space monster stuff than, than have to draw more uh, 60s era Batman supervillain stuff. So <laughs> he's taking a well-deserved break from uh, hilarious superhero satire. Uh, so, so I'm focused on street clothes right now. And then the uh, I've got a handful of pitches that are in various states of production and hopefully be ready to announce the next thing sometime in the next year. That's the plan. So awesome. in the meantime, just uh, doing the comic convention stuff this summer with street clothes and promoting that and, you know, hanging out with fine folks like yourself talking about good music. Super cool. Well, we will definitely put the links um, to your page where they can find everything out about you and Doberman and street clothes in our show notes. So look for those listeners. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Travis, we really appreciate having you on here. Uh, and for you and for our new listeners, uh, we always do a little whiskey segment on the show. Uh, we usually go around, talk about what everyone's drinking uh, right now. So uh, who wants to kick us off? And what do you got in the glass? Well, I feel really bad about this tonight, <laughs> um, given the Uh-oh. fact that my my life this week has been revol- is revolving around airports. Last <laughs> night, I had to pick up my wife and daughters at 1.30 in the morning from the airport, so I got like a total of like two hours of sleep last night. So all I can think is, man, if I drink during the show tonight, I am just going to be dozing off, and that's <laughs> not going to look good when we've got a guest on our show so i didn't want to be dozing off and i'm like judge. yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> dozing off on us is fine but not with a guest yeah not a That's guest right. i'm so <laughs> matt so anyway matt suggested i drink coffee then i have another dilemma i gotta get up bright and early tomorrow morning to fly out to california 
So like I I gotta One get a good night's sleep tonight. So I am drinking tonight. I am drinking Rocky's ginger beer. No, they're not a sponsor yet, but uh, that's what I am drinking tonight. <laughs> so there you go. Wow, scintillating. Such problems, my God. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Won't suck once I get out to California though. It's like eighty degrees. Mm. It's gonna be that great. The weather in Chicago right, has though. sucked lately. How about you, Matt? Or sailor who wants to go next? Sailor. Uh, so I am drinking some Old Forester. Um, you know, just their standard offering. Um, I forget sometimes to go back to these bottles. Uh, I seem to get on kicks. Like, oh, you know, Evan Williams Black is so good and it's so inexpensive. I'm just going to drink 10 of these a week, you know, whatever. And then I just kind of go go to my shelf or I'll go to the store. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot how much I like the standard Old Forester, the 86 proof. Um, so good. So much. Um, again, it's, it's a really good price point. Um and it's just like a very, it's a really great standard bourbon, like everything you expect from just a standard um, solid bourbon. Um, I always get orange from this. Do you guys yeah. ever get orange from Old Fort? Like tons of orange. Oh yes. my gosh. Not tons, okay. but I've had gotten it before. So I haven't tried the 86 proof yet, and I really want to. Because I was just actually talking to the to uh, Matt about this the other night. He was drinking some of the old Forster 100, mm-hmm. and that is the only one I've drank other than the 1920 and the Rye, which I love both of those. But the 100, for some reason, you bring up the oranges. All I could taste was like bitter orange pith on that. Huh. It was it was orange to a fault. I mean, it was just like the bitterness, and I I did what I did with the Eagle Rare. I drank a little bit, let it sit on the shelf for a month, came back to it a little more every single time. You've Same got a thing. wacky palate, I'm telling you. <laughs> hey. So, You've got a wacky palate. Or else I can just, I just know how to pick those bottles, you know. <laughs> so, Ed, guess what I'm drinking tonight? You, <laughs> Do you, you have said it. Forrester 100? Yes. <laughs> oh, we're yes. twins. Yes. We didn't even plan it this way. We did not. But uh, yeah, we were texting the other night and I was telling him that we were getting a lot of, or I was getting a lot of, you know, banana kind of chocolate notes on it. And uh, I've gotten I the orange. absolutely insane. Well, likewise. But I've gotten, I've gotten the orange on other uh, Old Forester expressions, but not this one. I've gotten more dessert qualities to this. That's what I get from that 100 as well. Yeah. This 80s, like the Prohibition style, I don't get a lot of orange in that. This is particularly orange peel. But mm. um, in the 100 proof, I'm I'm with you. I get a lot of um, chocolate and like stone fruits, mm-hmm. cherries, like dried, for, you know, pr- um, like a prune and apricot um, and, you know, like maple. I get maple in this too, but I think a little bit more maple in it. But yeah. It's good Matt, stuff. And, it's great stuff. And I love to trade samples. We will. And then we'll see if each other are see, crazy yes. or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before I get into my whiskey segment, I would be remiss if I did not ask our guest if he was drinking anything this evening as well. Uh, I am drinking a Diet Coke from McDonald's oh, at the moment. Oh. It's uh, my preferred beverage. My <laughs> what vintage is that? <laughs> uh, this is uh, circa 7, 18 p.m. Uh, of today's date. <laughs> it's a good hour. 
Uh, a lot of people mm. don't know this, but uh, the reason why the McDonald's Diet Cokes are so superior is that uh, they use uh, very they, – they double filter their water. So mm. uh, the water is actually much cleaner and cooler. And the volume that they do, uh, as I understand, they use a different uh, composite than a lot of the other fast food restaurants. So it uh, is a fresher, cleaner beverage. You know, I al- I always well said. I Thank always thought that yeah. Coke, t- Coke tasted different there than anywhere else when I was growing up. And that's just like their yeah. French Maybe that's why. Just Absolutely. like their I, French fries. I, I, believe, I, I'm, I may be fucking up some of the details. In fact, I almost undoubtedly am, but um, it's not apocryphal. Like there is a method to their like filtration and the, what the stuff they do of their water that actually enhances the flavor. It's uh, because I thought the same thing as a kid. I was like this, you know, how come Coke tastes better at McDonald's than it does other places. And it's not just us. It's all right. Here we go. Fact. Okay. So, I just, I just looked it up. Oops, okay. Um, I just got the Googles. So there is actually a reason a university did uh, some research on this. Um, so the syrup, the soda syrup, is stored in stainless steel containers, not plastic bags, Damn. which is pretty much the norm everywhere, including yeah. bars and restaurants. Exactly. Yep. It filters its water. You're absolutely right. Um, more so, it won't, they won't say how many times than other wow. fast food restaurants. So apparently it's several times. They keep it extra cold as, in its holding before it's even mixed. Um, and then it, they pre-chill the syrup. So the syrup is never room temperature oh. once they chill it. So, um, and then then you've got, got the wider straws, which gives you a different aeration. Like literally science. We know that it makes you drink faster, but it also aerates a little bit differently. So you're going to feel like it's more carbonated and not as syrupy. Interesting. I am going to actually, I'm very, Sailor, I'm so happy that you did that because <laughs> my wife makes fun of me. <laughs> Because oh, and we have it on tape. Very, oh yeah, she makes fun of me because I'm very monogamous about matching the fast food beverage cup to the appropriate straw. Like I drink a lot of McDonald's Diet Coke, so I have like a shit ton of plastic McDonald's straws at my place. But every once in a while, it'll be like, oh, I'm gonna go to Popeyes or I'm gonna go to someplace else. And then if I don't have the straw, she'll be like, well, just use this straw. And I'll be like, no, it's got to be the right straw yep. for the cup. Yep. And you have just validated my entire existence with that. So, God bless. So, okay, first of all, Jenny, I love you know I love your wife to death. Um, but she, but you're you're right. There is a thing to it. Second the of record, all, by the way, she's she's in the other room right now, and she just heard she? me say that, and I just heard her sarcastically go, "Whatever." Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't give a shit, but still, I I, I still feel good about being right. Um. So I do not do plastic straws anymore. Um, because plastic, it, it's just not a great material to recycle. And so I switched over to other types of straws a while ago, you know, within reason. If I'm somewhere and I can't get a whole, you know, I don't have my own straw, whatever, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I use the metal straws a lot and I have one in my purse. And yeah. at first I was like, shit, I can't get different size straws now. You can actually. Yeah. Go to no, Amazon 100%. and they have the different widths because for like a milkshake straw, you need it to be, um, you want it to be wider. wider. And for coffee, you actually want it to be smaller so the heat doesn't escape. I learned all of this 
researching the damn straws. So I've got them all up there in my car, they're in my purse, they're in my house, because I really want to cut down on my plastic consumption. So straw we've actually done the same thing. We have the metal straws now, and we've stopped getting plastic straws when we go out. But the problem is I have this buildup of like a, a just this gigantic handful of straws. So I'm like, I'm just going to go through these yeah. and just... <laughs> Get 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 them out of there. Get them done, and then you know, then we can move on fresh. Make a transition. Lives. I like it. Yeah. I like it. If you drink bubble tea, you just hit the plumbing section at the Home Depot and get yourself a big <laughs> piece of pipe. And exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, try to suck one of those bubble tea bubbles. Up for <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just watch that eye pop out like a like a Tex Avery cartoon. Well, you know the frosty straws that have the spoon at the bottom. You know, the yeah. scooping, they sell those too in different materials as well. Because I was really like, okay, but like, what about all these other straws? And you oh. can get them all. <laughs> it's my new eco conscious uh, moving forward. Yeah. Because there's nothing in the slits bad for the environment, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> like that, I think of a crashing halt with that. Great. Just <laughs> like, talking about slits. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this whiskey segment, shall we? Let's go from straws. Let's go from talking about straws <laughs> to talking about fishing. Okay. Does anybody fish here? Any fishers here? Me. I grew up with a father who liked to fish. Okay. So you might know the answer to this next question then. Do any of you that fish, the two of you that fish, uh, know what the dry fly technique is? In fishing. I think I do. It is not sexual. I know what fly fishing is. Is that just like a subset of fly fishing? I think the dry fly is, it doesn't go in the water, it goes on top of the water. Is that right? Well, that's that all fly is fishing. Right. That oh. is right. Isn't it? Yes. Yes. And you just blew up my next spot. But then, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, as Taylor said, just answer it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I didn't think anybody would know that, but surprise, surprise. A lot of free time with Google on her hands. Very, very, very true. So as Sailor said to a word really in fishing or in angling, it is a technique that uses a specific type of lure that actually mimics a fly buzzing the surface of the water. The purpose of the lure is to skim the surface and not actually get wet. The fish are attracted to the movement, of course, and move to the surface to strike. In an odd transition, and an odd whiskey segment, brings me to tonight's topic. <laughs> Alice in Chains. <laughs> okay, I want to see where this is going. Yes. Uh, although <laughs> oh, geography... I I where this is going. <laughs> all right. I think I got this. Okay, all right. Although geography and their early influence would pin them uh, to the grunge movement, which we discussed... Uh, of the late 80s and early 90s. To me, anyway, personally, Alice in Chains is a band that skimmed the surface of a few different genres. Grunge, uh-huh, heavy metal, going even deeper than that, sludge metal, which I, I actually read a lot about, which is kind of interesting, uh, but never fully immersed themselves in one pool, if you will. They attracted and blended music fans from multiple genres, much like Motorhead did before them. So... From the great state of Washington, just like Alice in Chains, just like Sailor currently, I have Dry Fly 100% Straight Wheat Whiskey. Now, Dry Fly Distillery is located in 
Spokane? Spokane, Washington. Spokane or Spokane? Spokane. Spokane. Yes. So it's located in Spokane and is completely grain to glass. They source all of their ingredients from eastern Washington. Uh, it is 100% local soft white wheat distilled twice in traditional American uh, in the traditional American whiskey style. It is aged a minimum of three years in new 53-gallon American oak barrels with that great number three char. A uh, couple notes on this. Uh, very light on the nose and on the palate. Lots of cinnamon, vanilla, boisterous oak, and excellent and soft sipper. Now, speaking of wheat whiskey, there are really only a handful of mass-produced wheat whiskeys, which to the novice whiskey drinker, uh, whiskey listener to the show, not a weeded bourbon, doesn't have anything to do with weeded bourbon. It is actually wheat whiskey, minimum 51% wheat, uh, this one being 100% wheat. Uh, Dry Fly, obviously, is one that is mass-produced. Bernheim is another one that is mass-produced. I can't really think of any other than those two, unless you guys can think of one. Koval. Uh, Koval, okay. Mm -hmm. The style certainly takes a significant backseat to bourbons and rye. In this whiskey drinker's opinion, I do hope the style gets much more attention uh, as micro distilleries are churning them out or beginning to churn them out uh, quite a bit. Uh, Going back to Alice in Chains, though, uh, admittedly, sometimes with all the music I own uh, on my iPhone and the thousands of songs that I have, uh, although I do love this band, as I will mention later in the show, uh, I do sometimes forget that (laughs) sometimes forget about Alice in Chains. I get so caught up in different bands and that this band actually existed and they are amazing uh and then i'm ultimately graced with them on my shuffle or on the radio in the car and i'm just taken aback by uh their greatness um and you know that links it with wheat whiskey because i have similar feelings about that as well once i have a wheat whiskey after such a long hiatus i'm just reminded about how great that style is so that is this week's whiskey segment you know i would agree with you that i really like wheat whiskey however i feel like those that make it with 100 wheat are missing out on the beauty of having just a little bit of corn in there like just 10 percent, maybe even a touch of rye Great you point. just lose a little bit of the butteriness the creaminess in there um i like how smooth it is but i do think you need to add just a little bit in there to give just get to kind of give it that that nice creamy base that's like a touch of sweetness you know like it's almost like Mm -hmm. a sprinkle of brown sugar that's what i miss in those 100 percent weeded whiskeys um i think there's also a craft distillery in new york state or maybe massachusetts that does a wheat whiskey it's a lot easier to cultivate in areas outside of bourbon country and that's typically why like so what we're seeing is craft distilleries are doing what they really should which is they are growing and selecting local and so corn would not grow very well here in the state of washington it's not going to grow very well in in illinois as i mean it does but not as well as Mm -hmm. it would in kentucky um, so it's the indigenous crops that the craft distilleries are really focusing on. And that's, I think that's such a good thing for spirits. And I'm super excited to see more um, craft distilleries and, and large distilleries kind of using their indigenous grains, in my opinion. As am I. We are on the I, same page with that. I, I have the same feelings about wheat whiskey as you do, Sailor. Um, I had a bottle of Bernheim. Mm-hmm. And whenever I would... 
would sample it, it was there was always like something missing. Something missing. Yep. You know, it was decent enough, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, okay, it's just kind of fallen flat for me here. It just needs a little something extra. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. I really like it. And then I go, oh, this tastes so, I'm just missing a little something. You know, like when you need that little, just pinch of salt on your food or just a little bit of acid in that food just to make it, you know, you know, it's just missing something in the palate. Um, you know, and it's it's funny because when I was uh, repping for Koval, and we've talked about this on the show, they do a oat and a millet, mm-hmm. and that oat whiskey is frigging phenomenal. Like, they should stop making everything else and just make that. <laughs> I'm serious, and just make that oat whiskey, and I think they would kill it. It is so flipping good, um, and I feel like that could be something you could add oat in there, a little bit of oat to that weeded whiskey, and and get perhaps something close to what that corn's going to give you. So I feel the same way about the Bernheim. Ed. Yeah, I think a good selling point, and it's in the tasting notes on the 100% wheats, is, you know, it's a could be a gateway whiskey. You know, mm-hmm. not overly complicated, pretty simple. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing that's going to linger with you to give you that, that big alcohol burn. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about my new friends, Liquid Death. Did you know that the average aluminum can contains over 70% recycled material and the average plastic bottle contains only 3%? Aluminum is actually infinitely recyclable. I didn't know that, but it's true. Uh, Cool fact, all of the aluminum produced since 1888, over 75% of it is still in current use. That's just nuts. When plastic bottles are recycled, the plastic is such low quality that it can't be made into new bottles. That's dumb. The material is usually sold to China to make cheap carpets and textiles, and a lot of that ends up in landfills. Sadly, if plastic production isn't curbed, plastic pollution will outweigh fish pound per pound by 2050. So we should all be murdering our thirst with 100% mountain water from the Alps. And that's exactly what Liquid Death does. But how does it work, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Our proprietary thirst murdering, says Liquid Death, process begins with forming a rope of veins that will wrap around your thirst's head and strangle it. Once Liquid Death reaches your thirst's brain, all of your thirst's memories will be replaced with repeating loops of its own head imploding. Damn. Which is exactly what happens next. By causing your thirst's head to implode, and its brain to squirt out of its ears. I mean, that sounds like it would work. So a little bit about the company. It was a handful of people that started Liquid Death with the diabolical plan to completely obliterate bottled water, marketing cliches by taking the world's healthiest beverage, mountain water, and making it just as funny and stupid and entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, soda, and beer. Also, plastic water bottles are a complete shift. But aluminum cans are far and away the most sustainable beverage container by virtually every measure. So, my friends, let me tell you, we all need to start murdering our thirst with Liquid Death Mountain Water. It is 100% mountain water from the Alps, truly, not like what is in most of those um, water bottles. It's usually tap water or who knows what. Um, And the cans are freaking cool. And the name is freaking cool, and it's a really awesome cause. I mean, if it's just so easy to grab this aluminum can instead of a plastic bottle 
and we're still going to have healthy oceans for our kids and grandkids, then do it. So hashtag death to plastic. And uh, you can find more about Liquid Death on our Instagram page and in our Facebook group. And we thank them for their support of the Metal Rock and Whiskey Show. Before we get into this discussion of the topic at hand, Alice in Chains, I just want to ask you guys, what is your relationship to the band? Are you a fan? If so, were you fans early on? Is it kind of like you? they're a staple you listen to or like Matt said, you kind of forget about them and go back to them? Travis, let's start with you because you actually picked this band tonight to be the subject. Yeah, um, and mostly it was just because of, of you gave me a list of like, here's some bands we're thinking about talking about. And this is one I actually did have a relationship with, um, fan of them in high school, fan of them through college, uh, saw them live um, one time only, but it was really awesome. And uh, also, though, interestingly enough, a band that I kind of like much to, to Matt's point, kind of forget exists sometimes. Um a band that that I think is is genius, but I think suffered a lot from creating or being such a, a largely recognizable part of the, the the grunge sound that the bands that were coming in to replicate that sound, the later days bands, glommed onto a lot of the surface level stuff of their sound in order to to get in there like that 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 kind of like kind of singing like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. a lot of those bands kind of like Mm -hmm. grab that and i think it ends up you know alice in chains ends up suffering from the proliferation of bands that were not as musically astute but at least could hit that surface level stuff to sound in that arena um and also a band to be perfectly honest that i kind of thought stopped existing after 1996 um and as part of kind of doing my research for this went back and was like god damn these guys have like five albums that i've never even heard mm-hmm. and you know actually sat down and listened to the last couple albums they put out and, were, and was really surprised um like really dug it. it was like wow this this does not suck i enjoy this very much so it's funny that both of you guys say say those things about kind of loving them but forgetting about them i'm the exact same way I, same it's, like, it's crazy <laughs> it's like i'm listening to these albums and and grant i even own um a couple of their cds i bought them when they were released back in the day um the self-titled album i bought and i also have jar of flies and i'm coming back to this and like man why don't i listen to this more um so yeah that's so uh, true. I, like i said i was a fan back in the day uh, when these earlier albums came out, I went out, I brought the CDs, uh, listened to them heavy in, in heavy rotation. Um, but there's so much music out there. And uh, Travis, I think you make a great point about them just kind of getting caught up in the larger group of grunge and kind of getting lost in the shuffle, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so yeah. I, I big think fan. You- I think you could arguably 
play a game like a game show game where you play a snippet of a song and say is this Alice in Chains or is this Stone Temple Pilots oh, and I think that wrong. stops to be that stops to be a comparison <laughs> after like the second Stone Temple Pilots album mm-hmm. they kind of developed their own thing but mm-hmm. that first Stone Temple Pilots album sounds like yeah. a punkier Alice in Chains album it sounds like yeah. an Alice in Chains album where they listened to a little bit more like you know, punk black flag type of stuff and a little bit less Sabbath, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, 100%. And I think part of it, what you're talking about, what we're talking about with forgetting it is the thing that they, as I'm listening back through their first couple albums, there are so many great songs on those albums. Mm-hmm. But if you catch, to Matt's point again, if you catch Alice in Chains on the radio, you're going to hear one of maybe three songs. Yeah. And they're great songs, but the catalog has so much more depth mm-hmm. to that. Yes, that absolutely. Unless you are a super dedicated hardcore fan where you're like, this is the band that I listen to a lot. I think it's easy to forget how good they are and how much like really quality quality music they put out. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, they're they're all very talented musicians and have been doing this for a while. Um, they, they actually formed in 87 in the Seattle area. And it was... Um, Jerry Cantrell and drummer Sean Kinney, um, who formed the band and then recruited Mike Starr as bassist and Lane Staley, as we all know, as vocalist. Um, so that's really funny. Their name came from Staley's previous glam metal band. <laughs> so he was he was in this glam metal band for years beforehand, and they were called Alice in Chains, <laughs> which is an apostrophe. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, kind of like sync. Yeah, yeah, in the same chains. They um in they, roses. Thank, yeah, thank God they didn't do that. Um yeah. <laughs> don't even let's not even start that. They played under a few names before they settled on that though. They played as um Diamond Lee, L I E, and Fuck. So I'm really glad they <laughs> they stuck with Alice in Chains because I don't think a band called Fuck was gonna make it. Like, no, <laughs> somebody in the no. band was like, just make T-shirts, and they say Fuck the fuck, band, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You just know somebody was that was where it came from. And they're yeah, like, major, oh, yeah, cool. major yeah. kudos for them for trying, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, let me say, I've been in a few bands, and somebody always has that idea. Yeah. Somebody's always been oh, naming yeah. the band face. Somebody's always like, dude, let's call it fuck. We got then the teachers say fuck the band. Like, all right, Dave. You know. Yeah. And if you know them from the radio, they'll just be known as bleep to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or fuh. <laughs> or fuh. Yeah. Um, so they met at a party in Seattle, and um Cantrell had actually seen Staley live a few months before, and he was really impressed with his voice kind of the memory of his voice kind of stuck with him so um and Cantrell was homeless at the time this I find funny so Staley invited him to stay to live with him like oh yeah dude you can live with me be my roommate but Staley was living in the fucking rehearsal studio (laughs) (laughs) he didn't have a place to live himself cozy up next to the amp over here I mean I knew tons of guys that used to live in their rehearsal studios it's there's you know yeah, it's please. a tube amp. It's nice and warm. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, so they've been playing some gigs locally, and then a local promoter, Randy Hauser, became aware of the band um, and offered to pay for them to record a demo. Uh, one day, though, before the band was due to record at the Music Bank Studio in Washington, the police the police shut the whole studio down. It was the biggest cannabis raid in the history of the state. 
And if you so, think like, about what that state is like now, it's incredible, it's, right? It's, yeah, deeply, deeply ironic that yes, that actually that's exactly what I was thinking. We are a legal marijuana is legal in this state um, completely. It doesn't have to be just medical. It's just ridiculous. Um, funny, you know, they don't let people out of jail when they legalize marijuana in that state. Did you know that? And if that's you've been bullshit. Yeah, if you've can, been convicted, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so they completed their demo in 88, and they named it the Treehouse Tapes, and it found its way to the manager of Soundgarden, and, uh, well, the music managers, and uh, they passed that on to Columbia Records A&R rep, and then they, that's how they got signed to Columbia Records. They were actually signed in 89. Um, so, yeah, I don't really associate, it's so funny, I've never really associated them with grunge, and really? I... Likewise, never, yeah. Because I heard them before the other bands. Like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, I heard of way before. Because I somehow got their first, I don't know if it was the demo or the EP. Yeah, so I thought they were more metal. I didn't, I don't know. That's the thought I had. If, If they had, if their career had taken off 10 years earlier, they would have been known as one of the great 80s metal bands. Absolutely, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, I always thought they were more metal than than grunge. But yeah, you know, me too. You know, and Travis, if you listen to our, our Nirvana episode, we talk about, or at least I talked about how I felt grunge was more of it just a movement um, than an actual sound. Um, you know, maybe seventy five twenty five. But um, I always no, thought, that, yeah, yeah, you're hundred percent right in that. But, I mean, the there's geography also... of it that puts them in that category to me, anyway. Yeah, and and the fact that a lot of the bands that were in those scenes were were deeply incestuous and were playing out with each other, and you know had been in other bands together, so that that leads to a lot of common songwriting. Um, philosophies or approaches and certainly a lot of common interests from just people sharing stuff um i always did associate them with grunge but that's also because in large part that's where i got exposed to them Mm because for for me kind of you know i um partly it might have been late adopter i don't really know i think it was like probably 92 before like i kind of came across them and i think nirvana was my gateway into most of that yeah, stuff yeah yeah and then yeah what, where you know i primarily associated with them is if you remember they have a song um on the soundtrack to the movie singles yep. which um you know good movie but either by design or by accident happened to become this kind of um snapshot of what the quote, quote seattle scene yep. was there so oh, so pretty much, yeah. you know and i mean there's bands on there you know um the heart it pretty much it's not heart they're they're on there as the love mongers but you know it's it's uh heart is basically on there they're not grunge you know paul westerberg's not grunge but these are things that for i think a lot of those people that were exposed in this way you kind of associate that yeah um and, you know and certainly but but if you look at some of the tours that they were doing like they were opening for metal acts um i'm i can't remember if they actually did the gig or if they just got booked to do the gig but they were opening for i think it was like an anthrax megadeth something like that like like a hardcore metal festival Mm. they were the openers for and i guess they did very badly there but um because although yeah it's metal i i do i think i take exception to the idea that they'd be one of the biggest metal bands from the 80s because i feel like they would have been one of the biggest metal bands from the 70s but I feel like their sensi- sensibilities were a lot darker than the '80s rewarded, like in terms of a lot of the metal. Wow, from yeah. mm-hmm. That's a great Good point. point. Hmm. 
I can kind of see that. I could be talking out of my ass. I don't know if that's a good point or not. <laughs> you guys are very kind to say that, though. <laughs> so actually, you know, as Sailor said, they were signed to Columbia in 89. And, you know, luckily for us now, they became a priority of Columbia. And Columbia actually released the band's first official recording in July of 1990. It was a promotional EP called We Die Young. Uh, the EP's lead single, same title, We Die Young, uh, became a hit on uh, most radio stations. Uh, the label deemed it successful and actually rushed their debut album into production with producer Dave Jordan. Uh, Dave Jordan, pretty good resume, Fishbone, <laughs> Social Distortion, um, a band that we don't like to mention on the show, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, we'll talk about that later or at a different time. Uh, Talking Heads. <laughs> Uh, the Rolling Stones and uh, Zappa. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. The different story for a different day. Maybe yeah, never, again. <laughs> yeah, never again. Never again. Never <laughs> again. Uh, so, actually, uh, funny thing about that. Uh, not the Chili Peppers, but about uh, We Die Young. Um, Cantrell, Cantrell once said that the uh, the album was intended to have a moody aura. Uh, and that was, yeah, <laughs> it was a direct result of the brooding atmosphere and feel of seattle i think moody is a pretty good adjective for most of the bands coming out of that area at that time i'd say they're all pretty moody i think anybody in your early 20s that's addicted to drugs and alcohol is gonna feel fucking moody i don't care what goddamn city you're living in. way more blunt but okay (laughs) (laughs) arguably if if you have a really heavy drug and alcohol problem and you're also drinking mountains of coffee in a city where it rains 90 percent of the time i think that may add to the (laughs) factor of it a little bit like let's let's bring some of the weather and environment into it a bit here yeah but detroit Um, could say you could say the same imagine being the same person at the same time detroit shithole city at the time you know weather is horrific the weather is you're not gonna come out with alice in chains out of that you're gonna come out with kids walk no (laughs) oh please he's not allowed to be discussed on this show moving along (laughs) i fight you come on So the result was the album Facelift, released in August of 1990. Uh, Facelift actually peaked the following summer at number 42 on the Billboard 200 chart. However, it was not an instant success until MTV added Man in the Box to its heavy rotation. Yes, indeed. Sales shot up, of course. Uh, The album received critical acclaim, and Sammy Hagar, of all people, invited them to tour with him. Red great song. He is a okay. I just want to say something about Sammy Hagar for a minute right here. Great song. So he was a champion and still is actually for bands that he likes as bands just getting their start, especially. It's funny because I kind of did a little went down a little rabbit hole of Sammy Hagar because I didn't know this about him. Um, but he has championed a lot of bands. So we we should actually. I was kind of thinking about doing a show on that sometime, like some of these other artists that have been responsible for some of your favorite bands, because literally they fell in love with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And Sammy Hagar is one of them. And you'd be surprised the bands that he helped out. 
either by like handing them off to their label or their A&R person or saying, come on tour with me. Um, it's It's been quite a few bands. So like so. legit guys like that, not like Gene Simmons who founded every band Fuck from the late 70s. Early. <laughs> I founded Van Halen. I discovered yeah, Van Halen and Black Sabbath. And... I shit whatever. gold because I'm fucking Gene gold. Simmons. Yeah. Asshole. I hate that <laughs> Anyway. Oh, you man, know so. if Gene Simmons could figure out a way to monetize his bowel movements, he would. He would monetize course, anything. That he's had meetings he's where he's picture like, on condoms, well, for Christ's sake. Bag, I think, I think if I put like, my yeah, piss in a bottle, people will buy it because I'm Gene Simmons. We'll put a picture of my tongue on the side of the bottle. Women, the women, wait, I try, I can't even do his voice. They can just put it on a necklace around their neck, you know? I'm going to have a coffin because when somebody dies, they can kiss coffin. And a coffin will play kiss music for eternity. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> invited to the funeral will understand what a disappointment this person has been to everyone else in their life. The perpetual kiss coffin. Oh yeah, god, man. that sounds like hell. That sounds that would be my hell. I'm not That's making amazing. that shit up. That exists. And of course, Dude, I no will way. fucking be a nun for the rest of my life. Oh, right now, if someone told me you have to be buried in a kiss coffin and the music gonna play for eternity i would be like that's it sorry robin uh <laughs> no Somebody more sex that battery technology to tesla oh, God. <laughs> how does how does not having sex prevent you from dying and possibly being buried in a kiss coffin because i would be a catholic <laughs> nun so i wouldn't go to hell oh, i would go to man. heaven you see hell is the kiss coffin heaven uh, is the kiss coffin Right, you got to you got to keep up Travis. Come on, man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no chance that was whiskey logic at all, sailor. Not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we were talking about facelift, I believe, before we I think we were. <laughs> dovetailed into all that other stuff. Um, that album <laughs> was actually that album was actually certified gold in September of 1991. September of 91, an extremely busy month for rock releases, as we've covered, making it the first Seattle grunge album to go gold. And Alice in Change, they were actually nominated for Best Hard Rock Performance that year at the Grammys uh, for Man in the Box, but lost to the aforementioned Van Halen. Van Halen! Yep. So then what happens? The band released their second EP called Sap. And that's not the Spanish subtitles. That is the stuff from the tree, I assume, <laughs> in February of 1992. And this was right around, of course, a few months after Nirvana released Nevermind. Uh, and I think at that point, February of 92, I think Nirvana's Nevermind was selling probably close to 400,000 copies a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, um, you know, this release went gold as well. And actually, speaking of heart, yeah. speaking of heart, mm-hmm. right? Yes. There's that connection. Travis, yes. you were right. Yes. And Wilson, Chris Cornell also are actually guest vocalists on that EP. Wow. What an awesome. Two, two guest vocalists to have. And Wilson. Good Two of the greatest ever. I'm talking about Rushmore like, vocalists. It's I would like... be like, I'd back up and be like, I got nothing to sing here. I just, you like, guys yeah. just how, how can you top that? Freddie Mercury, maybe? 
How do you I mean, even? <laughs> how do you even back that? I wouldn't wouldn't even be a backup singer. I mean, you're talking that. about hell. I mean, why I couldn't imagine heaven being anything different than those two. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, know. seriously. But that's you know that, that's actually one of, I think the amazing parts of of the a band like Alice in Chains is that you can have like a Chris Cornell, you can have people like that come in. Like you know, even Freddie Mercury. You bring Freddie Mercury in, you still with with Staley and uh, Cantrell's voices especially like once you get past sap and they start doing a lot more um, double vocals, uh, you know, sharing lead vocals, they still do something that nobody else does. They still bring something else to the table. So you bring in Chris Cornell, but it's not like, how do I stand next to this? It's like, all right, well, this is another, it's another great taste. This is going to take taste awesome in this particular rock goulash. Can you imagine Freddie Freddie walking into that room? Damn. (laughs) Well, then you've got Staley Staley behind them all just going (laughs) 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 You sound just like him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, meantime, in March of 92, uh, the band returned to the studio to record their album Dirt. This has a much darker feel than Facelift. And, well, go figure, six of the album's 13... That, this is a long album. I even noticed that listening to it. Six yeah. of the 13 songs are on the subject of addiction. Um, Dirt peaked at number six on the U.S. Billboard charts. And since it was released, it has been certified quadruple platinum by the RAAA, making Dirt the band's highest-selling album to date. And, and I actually, can see why. Singles movie yeah. came out in '92. Um, yeah. And speaking of that movie, which I love that movie, and I think I love it because of all the bands that are in it and all the music, the cameos from all the Seattle bands, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just. Like you said, it's such a great snapshot. If anybody wants to know what the 90s were like for kids that, or kids or people that weren't like mainstream, I don't know what you want to call it. Like we used to call them preps back in the day, but I don't think anybody uses that term. Like watch the movie Singles. They Mm -hmm. all, not only did they do a song for the movie, but they were in the movie as the bar band. Um, And Wood was on the soundtrack. And then the video, um, they got a best video award at the 93 VMAs for it. So good. That's such it's such a if you listeners, if you're younger, you don't know that movie, go stream it, rent it. I don't know fuck you, how you get movies these days. <laughs> Singles. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say how I get mine. So <laughs> I, don't I, I don't want anybody showing up in black cars at my door. Um, <laughs> we'll talk after the show. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a great, great movie with the, like one of the best soundtracks. And I didn't I bring it up in our soundtracks episode that wasn't it Crow and Singles were some of my top, right? Yeah. I had Singles on yeah. my the Crow and t- yeah. 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 yeah yeah Singles yeah, is freaking mm-hmm. awesome. Be on mine, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and besides being a top selling album, the album was also loved by the critics. Um, Steve Huey of AllMusic declared it a major artistic statement and the closest they ever came to recording a flat-out masterpiece. And Chris Gill of Guitar World called Dirt huge and foreboding, yet eerie and intimate, and sublimely dark and brutally honest. And um, this album spawned five top 30 singles and charted for two freaking years. That is nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. 
guy and those are impressive numbers they're impressive numbers so I mean, they tw- ar- yeah. yeah arguably if you close your eyes and you try to picture an alice in chains album that's the one that comes that's, to mind yeah. oh absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're if yeah, you're yeah. of again of the generation that actually looked at album covers and shit like that yeah. <laughs> yeah. which we've talked about on the show is a lost art of yes. music going to the store and buying music yeah yeah um, so they had toured extensively in 1993 uh, in support of that album. Uh, Staley was quoted as saying, just wanted to go into the studio for a few days with our acoustic guitars and see what happened. Uh, this is after their tour. Uh, he said this. We never really planned on the music we made at that time to be released, but the record label heard it and they really liked it. For us, it was just the experience of four guys getting together in the studio and making some music. Great quote. And then, of course, out comes the album that they were working on, Jar of Flies, released as an EP in January of 94. Uh, it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, becoming the first EP and actually the first Alice in Chains release to top the charts. This uh, is where I thought you were going earlier with your fly fishing thing. Jar. When you were like flies, <laughs> I was like, I, I did too. I was thinking shit. that too. Me right, too. Yeah. I thought it was going to be Jar of Flies. Just when you think you know me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was for a loop. Skim and all that, but yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So since its release, Jar of Flies has actually been certified triple platinum by the RIAA, um, with over two million copies sold in the United States during its first year alone. During the release of the album, unfortunately, and uh, you know this will only go downhill as we'll see, uh, Staley entered rehab for heroin addiction. Uh, the band was actually scheduled to tour the summer of 94 with Metallica, uh, who were well into their downward spiral at that point. <laughs> Not drugs, yeah. but music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> suicidal, tended- <laughs> suicidal tendencies and Danzig. And they had a slot during Woodstock 94. Unfortunately, uh, Staley began using heroin again. Uh, they decided to cancel all the dates before the start of the tour, putting the band on hiatus. And then they actually broke up for six months. And um, let me fucking tell you guys, okay? So this was Metallica, Suicidal Tendencies, and Danzig Rich. with Alice in Chains opening, yeah. okay? I bought fucking tickets to this shit. I was already just like, oh, I don't know if I can handle seeing Metallica live anymore. It's going to depress me and bum me out, you know, <laughs> but but fuck it. It's it's Suicidal, it's Danzig, and, and Alice in Chains. And I re- weirdly had the feeling, like, I don't know if you guys felt like this, but I always felt like, like Lane Staley was, was going to die. They broke up. No, no. <laughs> because you bought the tickets to that show. No, yes. that's what I thought the whole time. I mean, I'm a powerful woman, but that's taking it a bit far. <laughs> I never underestimate your powers, kid. Thank you. Thank there you, you go. Um, I I always assumed Lane Staley was going to be like drop dead from drugs. I just got that vibe from him. I don't know why, and I remember being like, well. Should probably see them. So I buy the tickets and um, you know, there you was no. Was, do you think it was six tracks out of 13 being about addiction that may very, have given very the guy problem? I mean, the writing was on the wall. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and and MTV, clearly. And yeah. MTV News was constantly like up to, you know, like, oh, Lane's, you know, singer of Alice in Chains, Lane Staley has entered rehab again, blah, blah, blah. So the rumors Lane were Staley abound. Tell- 
Watch on MTV News. I'm Kurt Loader. <laughs> or Adam Curry. Um, so there's no email at the time, right? So you don't get an email or a text alert or a Facebook or whatever the fuck saying, hey, boop, one of the bands on this ticket has changed. No, no, no. You probably just show up to the concert and, you know, it says Candlebox instead of fucking Alice in Chains. Oh, <laughs> really? Candle I'm not kidding. Box. I am not even oh, kidding. Oh, Jesus. I am not even kidding. <laughs> Thank God I did not show up to the concert because I think it was it, it was a day or two ahead of time. Something insane like that. My One of my girlfriends was dating a radio DJ. This was in Columbus, Ohio. And I cannot, I, I wish I could remember what show, like where the show was going to be. I don't think it was in Columbus. I had to drive somewhere. She He tells her, Oh, because I think maybe she was going with us or something. Anyway, I find out it's going to be Candlebox. And I'm literally like, what? And I'm like ready to rip up the tickets. And she's like, no, 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 we can sell them. And I'm like, and I just throw them out. I'm like, get them out of my face. There is no way I'm sitting through new Metallica and fucking Candlebox when I expected to see Alice in Chains. Like, sorry, Suicide and Dancing, but suck it, everybody. Oh, that was- And not for nothing, that right there is how you know that Danzig is full of shit. Because if he actually meant any of the shit he sang about in The Misfits, he would have fucking killed and eaten Candlebox the yes. first night of that. Oh, there you go. Thank you. On yeah. stage. So, yes. Stick to your fucking story. Yes. Thank that you. is a goddamn harrowing tale. I am it so sorry that still, happened to you. I think I still have PTSD from it, actually. I, I really don't blame you. Yeah. Because at, going from Alice in Chains to Candlebox <laughs> is like, hey, <laughs> would you like a filet mignon? I would fucking love filet mignon. Oh, my God. Okay, cool. Um, here's dog turd on a Ritz. <laughs> on a Ritz. <laughs> It's the same thing, oh, right? Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Like someone just said, fuck oh, you, wow. sailor. I can't imagine the people that showed that didn't know until because I think they announced it on some radio stations. But again, you'd have to be listening to the radio. So many people didn't know. Um, I can't believe there weren't riots. I would have incited a riot. <laughs> and one of the worst crazy. sounding Metallica's ever. That 94, <laughs> it was like James, yeah. James' voice was changing, but they hadn't down-tuned yet to go with well, his new voice. Right. So it was we fucking had, weird. We had kind of yeah. planned to leave when Metallica came on and decided, because we didn't know what the lineup was going to be. They didn't reveal it. And and this it's not like it's a tour that had been going on and you yeah, can yeah, find yeah. out. So I was like, I don't know if they were headliners. We assumed yeah. they were. And I'm like, well, what if it's like, you know, Alice in Chains, Danzig, Metallica suicide or whatever. I'm like, fuck it. Then we're not seeing suicide because we're just going to leave when Metallica comes on. But if you're going to add Candlebox to the mix, you can literally suck my butt. No. You just left them far behind. <laughs> oh, my God. So, all right. So the band is Hang on, hang on. I, I think we need to okay. pause for a minute and, and let him sit in that. That was amazing. That was well done. I'm mad Thank at you, you because I'm mad at you for knowing Candlebox lyrics, and I'm mad at me for recognizing it in the joke. <laughs> well, that's but... our weekly dad joke right there. We have one a week. Yeah. There we go. That's that's your one, Ed. That's, that's the best fucking one. dad joke I'm going to hear all month, so I, I, I give it up for you. For that <laughs> I don't story. think I could recall a Candlebox song right now. Don't ask I, me to I... recall another one. No, please, God, don't. Moving along from Candlebox now. Yes, we mentioned more bands that we hate on this Before show. Before I throw up. Like. I know, what is going on? This is so weird. Okay, so 
um, the band was broken up. Lane um, was <laughs> supposed to be in rehab, but instead he's like, I'm going to check myself out of rehab and do some other music projects. And one of those projects was Mad Season with some members of Pearl Jam and Screaming Trees. Um, River of Deceit. Do you guys remember that song? River Ooh, of Deceit? Yes. Let me play it for you. Do it not. is such it was a huge, huge hit. So let me play River of Deceit. My pain yourself chosen at least. Okay, there it is. So um, it, it's I just kind of always wondered if the guys were like, what the fuck, dickhead? Like, we have to cancel our shit and break up for a while because you're strung out on drugs. You're supposed to be going to rehab. You don't go to rehab. You make music with other people, and it's a number one hit. What in the absolute fuck? I would have been pissed. Um, pro- you know, yeah. I get the feeling, though, it wasn't just him. Like, some of the comments and stuff, like, around the time, it seemed like, yeah, that was a big factor, but it was also the tensions coming from that oh, causing yeah. everybody to kind of snipe and, and, and have a problems with each other. So, you know. And they were, and, all, and also, they were all fucked up at the time. Yeah, and I mean, so I much. think... They were all having a really difficult time if i remember correctly it's um I, their bass player i think they had to replace and that he was died a, too right i don't know if he died or not one but of I the just, other I, guys died also they've lost I, two band members to drug addiction i feel like one of the guys they replaced and it turned out that it was because of his drug problem mm-hmm. um but I, I could be misremembering that but i mean yeah i i'm sure it sucked but at the same time it's also the kind of like well you know, we're not doing anything if this is the creative thing you need, et cetera, et cetera. And that Mad Season album is really different too from anything anything that they were doing. So it's, it's kind of an apples and oranges. Like if you went out and joined Stone Temple Pilots, uh, then I think you legitimately (laughs) have to like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. But (laughs) but, this was, this was a real departure. I feel like. So they get back together, as we know. Um, So it's like around April of 95, and they head into the studio with Toby Wright. Toby Wright had worked with bands like Slayer and Corrosion of Conformity. Um, So while they were in the studio, (laughs) and these things used to happen all the time, an inferior version of the song Grind was leaked um, to the radio. It got major radio play, of course. And so in October of 95, the band released the studio version of the song um, to radio via a satellite uplink. We used to do that back in the day. Um, And they thought, well, this is going to quash, you know, the spread of the tape, the taped copies of the song. Of course, of course it doesn't. But regardless, I mean, the song was a hit. Um, So November of 95 is when their self-titled album uh, one of the other albums we'll be battling, Alice in Chains, was released. It was de- debuted at number one, and it's been certified triple platinum since. And you will know, I'm sure, the four hit singles, which are Grind, Over Now, Again, and Heaven Beside You. Um, Cantrell sang three of those four songs, um, and Staley only did lead on Again. Uh, interesting. Um, also, did you know the song Got Me Wrong unexpectedly charted three years after its release? Um, and that was on the SAP EP. It was re-released um, as I a single. I you why. Yeah, I know you know why. Does anybody else know why? Oh, I can see in the script I... why. Oh, shit, that's right. 
Good job, I'm Ed. Plus one to what Ed said. So my guess <laughs> is that it's because of its appearance on the soundtrack to the motion picture Clerks. Boom, you win. Ding, 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 ding. I love adoration. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That is right. So that was 94. Um, it reached number seven on the mainstream rock charts. That's oh, actually probably one of my, I think that may be my favorite song of theirs. It's such a good song. I think that may, that and We Die Young, I think are my two favorite Alice in Chains And songs. another great soundtrack. Another fantastic, mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Smith knows how to do so many things. Um, yeah, and we've one talked is, about it. That, yeah. that period of like 93 to 98 and a lot of your soundtracks, Sailor, on that episode were from that time period. Holy yep. shit. Yep. Yeah. And this is another one. Yeah, it goes away. All right. Well, the band did not tour to support this album. And many speculated it was because of the physical and mental condition of the band members, you think? Um, In April of 96, the band resurfaced and did, I like that term, resurfaced, and did an episode of MTV Unplugged. A live album of this performance was later released, and of course, it was a chart topper. Um, So by 96, things were really bad for Staley. Um, I mean, his fiance died from a drug overdose and he had pretty much become a recluse. Um, Allison Chains went on another hiatus and Cantrell went on to work on other projects. And then so. in October of 98, Staley reunited with Allison Chains to record two new songs, Get Born Again and Died. Um, they released a box set after this with all kinds of fun, cool stuff. I used to have it no idea what happened to it there's all kinds of like demo tracks like things that were recorded for the singles movie i think that didn't get released just a whole bunch of stuff i wish i still had that thing um so okay so then they go on another hiatus because um they're fucked up and um cantrell though continues to work on a lot of other projects and solo stuff he just never stops um, and then sadly, after a decade of battling drug and alcohol addiction, Lane Staley was found dead in his home in Seattle um, on April 19th of 2002. Um, why does everybody die my birthday month? I don't know. Um, and Cantrell has said many times that it was not just Lane who was battling addiction throughout the career of the band. It was really all of them. Um, did you guys know that this poor fellow, Lane Staley, was in his condo for two weeks before anybody found him? rough man that's fucking rough yeah so okay the band is still together as you said travis but for the purpose of the show we're going to stop here with the timeline because we're going to go into the battle um that i would say you know check them out check out their discography you can pull it up on spotify or however you listen to your music um cantrell is so fucking talented i mean you know losing lane staley it's a huge loss of course but cantrell is very talented and they do a great job and I, I really dig some of their new shit. Yeah. So it's definitely their new vocalist the new vocalist they've got, I think it's a good match with, yeah. with Cantrell's voice. Um it sounds like Alice in Chains. I think my only complaint is it's a little more metal 
um, they've lost a little bit of that kind of sludgy, um, mm. kind of kind of gloomy mm-hmm. thing that I really was, uh, you know, that most attracted me to them. So I I was digging the new stuff, but it is a little bit more metal than I would like from them. But you know, it still, doesn't sound like old Alice good. in Chains. I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't you know? not sound like old Alice in Chains. It just doesn't sound as good, good. as old yeah. Alice in Chains. For if that sure. follows at all. For sure. So before I set up the battle. I think it's a perfect time to take a break so I don't pee my pants. So we will be right back. All right. And we're back. Let's begin the battle, my friends. We've got... Allison Chain's self-titled album, Against Dirt. So first, let's talk about the self-titled album. Um, we've got the song Wood, Them Bones, Angry Chair, Rooster, and Down in a Hole. I think the only song that wasn't like played ad nauseum was Angry Chair, maybe. I think every other song is a, was a single hit, right? Well, Angry, sure. Chair, Angry Chair is played quite often. <laughs> well, I mean, I posthumously, say. but I think at the Posthum- time. Yeah, yeah the I time, think at the yeah. time, those were the big, big yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. I remember Although, when Rooster was like, you could not get away from that song. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's still the one. I think that's arguably the one you're most likely to bump into. They yeah. had a in man the on the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, God, the, when I read the, I went, I was actually like, with a band like this, I like to go back and read the lyrics because I just really like I didn't know any of the real lyrics to the songs. You sing whatever you hear, and a lot of it you're just like. <laughs> um, <laughs> so fucking depressing. Like they were God lyrically so depressing. Everything's about depression and pain and anger and drug addiction and um, war and death. Like good God, but it's such so, good yeah, songs. That was it's another so, characteristic yeah. of the grunge era. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, responsible yeah. for most of the lyrics because you know I, that's the one thing I don't think I know really definitively is is between Staley and Cantrell, who, which one of those two guys is writing most of the lyrics for these tunes? Well, I know both of them. Yeah, I mean, a rooster was. And I learned this because, you know, like like you said, Sailor, you hear the lyrics and you you're, you make the, you know, you pretend you're singing along with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, to know what that song's actually about is fucking incredible. Uh, and it's about Cantrell's father who was in Vietnam and had, you know, issues coming out of the war and sort of their relationship. And his nickname was Rooster. Um, it's just it's it takes I mean, the song is amazing. Uh, it takes it to a whole nother level once you get to that depth of um, you know, what it's actually about. It's fucking insane. Yeah, I'm so, looking at the writing credits on this yeah. on the self-titled album. And it looks like it's pretty evenly split. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, it's both. Um, I think, though, the way Cantrell described it is that he would kind of lay out the song and mm. lay out the idea for the lyrics and either he would go ahead and write them or Staley would pick it up and write it. Yeah. And kind of whoever kind of it worked best sort of is how they did things. But um, Cantrell usually had the idea for the what the song should be about, let's say. Yeah. And then gotcha. Staley would kind of write in that 
theme, which I they were obviously sharing the same the same themes in their life, so it wasn't really a problem. It was exactly, like I yeah. want I want this song to be about ice skating. The other person's like, no, fuck that. I want this to be about roller skating. You yeah. suck. And they did not have that problem. It was like, oh, you want to write about fucking drugs? Cool. Let's write about yeah. fucking drugs. See if Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. If Lennon and McCartney had both had really heavy heroin habits, the Beatles would probably never have broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he'd probably be alive today, but that's a whole. No, other no show. probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> no, I'm saying he probably Just would. Causes. Just Funny though, he might have because it seems like. A lot of the heroin, it's funny because, not funny, but. It's not funny, yeah. In one of my rabbit holes, her, the, the heavy heroin users aren't usually the ones that die, actually. they Those fuckers will live forever. And they're like preserved. Like heroin, I had this discussion, and I talked about this once on the show, but I didn't go in depth. When I first when I met Iggy Pop, we ended up having we went down a rabbit hole about heroin and how it's, it preserves you. Like it's almost like an embalmer, but you're still alive. And we started like going on this whole thing about how, what if you just ingested like the tiniest amount, like you're microdosing yourself. So you stay alive forever, but you're not like on a drug or, and it doesn't harm you or whatever. We did, we made up this whole thing. It was ridiculous. Um, But it's true. Like it's usually alcohol um, or other drugs like pills that kill yeah. people. The heroin usually doesn't do it. So I'm just know. fucking jealous that you have an Iggy Pop story, dude. <laughs> that you talk you talk drugs with Iggy Pop. That's yeah, exactly. At that point, about... Ask her about Lemmy sometime. Yeah. Uh, uh, she told me we've, we've she's told we've me Lemmy stories. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's told me Lemmy stories, but I had not heard the Iggy Pop story before. Yeah, we I was at Oh back... sorry, the first time she met Iggy Pop. Yeah. yeah. I was backstage at a festival in Belgium and um it was one of those giant festivals. And this was back in the what was it like two thousand two or something like that. I don't know. Early two thousands. And um they don't really segregate the backstage areas. They're they're not too bothered about that. The Europeans are just like, whatever. And so I was just they have these like make like this tent that's like the, you know, backstage or green room, whatever you want to call it. And there's catering back there. And, you know, my label was very, very tiny and my bands were playing a very tiny early stage. But, you know, I would go to most of the shows and sit, you know, and just be there if they needed anything, make sure everything went well, they got paid, whatever. So I'm just sitting in the couches and the whatever backstage area and I'm reading and I someone sits next to me and I don't really look over right away. And then he says something to me because we're the only one sitting there and I look over and I'm like, oh, hey, Iggy Pop. And he's like, oh, you're American. And Want I'm to like, talk yeah. about heroin? Yeah. <laughs> right then, George Clinton walks by, who's like 10 feet tall. He's in the diaper situation, the cloth diaper thing. He's got the colored threads that are like down to the floor and he's got this entourage of maybe eight 30 very weird att- just no women no attractive women like very oh, wow. but, uh, but weird looking and we both kind of did the same <laughs> did the same thing we were both like whoa and i'm like did you did that just happen and he's like yep and i'm like okay that happened and then i think i said something like oh i'm sure you've seen you know, that's not the craziest thing we've ever seen. I don't know. And we ended up talking about it's it. It's literally one of the greatest stories I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it is anyway. something. Iggy Pop doing a double take on George Clinton. 
fucking awesome. It wasn't that it was George Clinton. It was the way, because it's broad daylight, I should mention. Fucking broad daylight. It's in the middle of summer, and everybody else is, like, doing business things or sitting and reading and eating, catering. Very quiet. There was, like, it wasn't night, so there was no partying or anything like that. But the way he walked through, he's so large. Like, not only is he tall, but he's a large, large man. And then with those dreads that had to be as, as tall as me... And with the weird women, it was almost like um, coming to America. (laughs) I swear to God, it kind of reminds me of that. The way the women would would go before you with the pedal. Yes. Yes. So just in the middle of like a a daytime summer kind of scene and us just kind of niceties like, oh, hello, hello. And then this walks by where we're like, what the fuck? Okay. But for George Clinton... George Clinton, that is business casual. Yes. That is like fully appropriate three in the afternoon like behavior. Yeah. 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 He did inter- I watched him do. He's, he's not wearing his formal cloth diaper hat. <laughs> no. That, it was just the white, probably regular afternoon one. I watched him do two telev- European television interviews in the diaper, sitting in the chair with no top on or anything. It's just in- fucking insane. Well, I'd like uh. to share. The waist down right now. I myself am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> be kind of amazing if I was though. Like if that happened organically, where uh, I stood up and yeah. Yeah. I would probably need a cloth diaper. <laughs> <laughs> what album are we talking about here? Oh my god, I dirt? don't know. We're just yeah, 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 I think we're on yeah. Allison Chains, right? We really just we keep going on these tangents, but whatever. Anyway, okay. Yeah, dirty. Yeah. So, all right. So, Allison. So, yeah, Dirt happens. Um, so, that's the one album we're going to talk about. You know, I'm sure everybody's very, very familiar with this album. Um, and then we have Allison Chain's self titled album. Mm-hmm. So, what we have to do here is, um, and again, this is, if you guys remember, I hated the cover of this album, hated it. Because it's a three-legged dog, and the dog looks so sad. And I'm just like, oh, my God, please tell me that that doggy, like, lived the life of luxury after being on the cover of that. I fucking hated it. So I, when I got the CD, I flipped it and turned it inside out so I didn't have to look at the damn dog. So, it make me so, so you got to see the floating bottle instead. Yes, I hated it. I hated this cover. <laughs> <laughs> so this album that is what they won a Grammy. Um, this was their Grammy-winning album. Um, again, they're writing about the same things, depression, dr- drug use, anger, and death. Okay. Hmm, um, funny, stick I think with, that... Stick with what works. Stick with what you know, basically. Yeah. Um, so uh, we weren't... I mean, here's a funny thing. This is sometimes cate- categorized as doom or sludge metal, which I find very funny. Um, I don't think it really belongs there from what I consider doom and sludge metal, but what the fuck do I know? I don't know. To me, this is more of a... I, I always um, pictured this as a grunge album. I think... Uh, yeah. Grunge rock. Um, to me, the, this when someone talks about grunge rock, this is like one of the first albums I think of. Um, I don't normally think of... Yeah, Nirvana's in there, but that's why I guess we talked on our our Nirvana show about Nirvana being the quote unquote godfathers of grunge. I kind of took exception to that. Fuck yeah. 
and because Alice in Chains was one of the first bands that popped into my mind. Um, I don't know if I'd exactly call them the Godfathers either, but I would probably call them, you know, the kings of grunge at the time. But, well, um, it is interesting, though, because, I mean, at the, the kickoff of this, everybody really kind of made the point of like, oh, I don't consider them a grunge band. You know, they're really more like, you know, we, we, we all did the kind of like, oh, they're kind of more like a metal band mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. But nonetheless, when you think of a quote unquote grunge album, it's not a Pearl Jam album you think of. It's not a Nirvana album. It's going to be a Soundgarden album or it's going to be an Alice in Chains album. Oh, yes. That's, those yeah. are the ones that are going to come to mind. I think Soundgarden is the grunge. They're the godfathers of grunge, in my opinion, or 90s metal or how, you know, whatever you want to call it. To me, they, they, they are the first. And, and I, I feel like. They were the ush. They did the ushering in, in my opinion. Um, so this is the last album with Lane Staley, and this album also features basic Mike Inez. Um, do you remember he was with them for a hot minute? Yeah. Um, Ozzy Osbourne's uh, bassist. Um, so this is also the album where the horrific Candlebox. Um, the great candle box debacle of 1996 happened. Between this and the three-legged dog, you got a ton of baggage built up. Man, this. I am, I am telling time. you, PTSD, dude. Is, this is album that going to influence you at all in evaluating it, so, do you think? Yeah. I I'm think it throw, does. I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in here and say that I did not like this album. Whoa. The self-titled? Whoa, whoa, the whoa. self-titled, yes. And what do you like about it? There is a word, because we're comparing albums here, okay? So there is a word we've talked about on the show when a band makes an amazing album and then they tweak something and they do this and they do that and they maybe get a new producer in there, um, as we've seen, and they polish it. And to me, this sounds more polished polished than it should be there are songs on here i love man heaven beside you one of my favorite songs great song great song great That's song jerry singing lead on mm-hmm. that yes. by the way yes. Cantrell. Uh, but the it's just it's not dirt man it's just to me it's just it's polished um you know lane's stuff um over a little overdone on the vocal effects on lane stuff um it's just, it's not, it's a step down to me. I hate to say that. It hurts me to say that. But listening to these two albums front to back, which I'm, maybe I haven't done, you know, back to back like this, you know, like I said before, hearing them on the radio and picking them up here and there, never had the time to actually sit down and listen to the albums back to back. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I don't like it. <laughs> well, I do like this album, but yeah. between the two, I think they're, they're very, they're kind of different. There are similarities, but mm-hmm. to me, that this was definitely a departure from the they're sound different. of they're Dirt. Different. Um, dirt, <laughs> I would call, I wouldn't hesitate to call Dirt a metal album. That's what I kept thinking when I was listening mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Whereas I was call, I would call this a grunge album. I would call Dirt a metal. Uh, yeah, I've always nineties. It's nineties metal to me. That's always what I what I call it. It's not eighties metal. Eighties metal and nineties metal are very different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that's a nineties metal album all the way, and this is a, a grunge album. I think it's, it feels like two different bands to me. I, I kind is. of a. 
I associate yeah. the self-titled almost more with facelift in that I feel like it's a good album with really strong songs, but dirt hangs together as more of an overall concept and experience. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of those songs, even a song like wood, which I initially encountered on the single soundtrack to me still hangs together thematically. Like when I hear that the next song that I'm expecting is the next song on dirt. So it's, Dirt becomes more of a package. It, it well, just it, the whole thing hangs together better. They don't call it. Yeah, they don't call it a concept album, but I mean, it really is a concept. Yeah, album. It has sure. a, it's, it's strung it's together. It tells a story. Sound, yeah, yeah. Although I feel like "Down in a Hole" belongs on another album. It's almost like to me, "Down in a Hole" is almost like a pre preview of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? That it's just, that's yeah, like yeah. their one. And I always wonder. And I could. I I dug and dug. I can't. I couldn't find out if you know how sometimes they'll write in succession or they've written a bunch of material. And then when they go to record, there's a song that's more fresh. Like they wrote that. I wonder if they wrote that later down in a hole because it's Mm. so much more like Mm. their sound would change to after because to me, yeah, I I can't confirm that, but it's just speculation um, because I know that happens often. Um, I totally would call dirt a metal album and therefore I will always um, Heaven Beside Me is a beautiful song, but it's like, you know, look at the, the fucking as much as Rooster. OK, like I'm annoyed by the song now because it was played out. Um, the refrain in Rooster, like just that song. Mm. I don't know, like that and Wood are so fucking powerful. And there's so much guttural to me, like metal power in those songs. So I I have to go with Dirt. I'm also going to argue that that even um, um, what the heck were we just talking about? Heaven, um, heaven beside you. Heaven beside you. you. Yeah, it's a great song, but I think arguably the version that most people immediately clock to is the version from the Unplugged album. Unplugged, sure. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, it's a great song, but the version most people are immediately thinking of is not the version that's on the self-titled album, and that automatically, like, kind of in a way, you know vetoes that see i prefer the album version of that so do i yeah unplugged i don't unplugged is like whatever it's fine but i yeah i prefer the album version but i think you're right everybody associates it with the unplugged version for sure but um i i agree down in the hole i think well if you look at the next album that actually comes um after that is the jar of flies album Mm -hmm. and i think down in a hole is would fit in perfectly to Jar On Jar Flies. Absolutely. Yeah. So I really feel like they wrote that song, and I wish I could get confirmation somehow, like, you know, email their press agent and be like, <laughs> <laughs> um, if they fucking remember. I mean, probably I not. I say, you, you probably know? could. Yeah. I just don't know how reliable that recollection is going to yeah. be. would be like, I don't, I don't actually remember recording any of that album, so I don't know what to tell you. Um but yeah, I totally agree. So, all right, let's go around the room real quick. And um, so if, if you have to choose one or the other or the world's going to explode, do you choose self-titled or do you choose dirt? Travis? Dirt, no contest. Dirt. Okay. Ed? I am going dirt. And if you would have asked me a week ago before I reviewed these albums, I probably would have would have said self-titled just from what I remembered, but going back and listening to them together, it's like dirt hands down. Mm -hmm. Maddie. I got to go with dirt. 
and I'm taken aback by how amazing that album is. Listening yeah, to it from too. front to back, it is like mm-hmm. it is like top top fifteen. Like automatically, just listening to it for the show is fucking well, you know incredible. What, you know what's interesting is what's happening is that when and I and I do I've done this throughout my life. I've I'll take a break from certain music and then I go back to it five ten years later even. Yeah. You know, you have more experience, your tastes have developed, you have more information, you're more well-rounded as a listener, you're better at being critical, and it's been great doing this podcast because we've been forced to go back and not only learn so much about some of these bands, but re-listen to a lot of this music um, and, and have to listen to it with very critical ears. And it's been, it's fucking awesome. It's a oh, great yeah. part of this job, let me tell you. Yeah. Well said. Um, you know, having to do this. The one thing I would be interested in, because we're all kind of somewhat age contemporaries. um, So I think we all have some emotional investment in dirt, not just as an album, but also from like where we were in our lives when we discovered it. I would be very interested to see for somebody who has no prior exposure to Alice in Chains. They haven't really listened to them or maybe they know one or two songs on the radio, how they would react to those two albums side by side. And if there's a factor in there where maybe part of the reason why, you know, because if you'd asked me what's your favorite Alice in Chains album before, I probably would have said Facelift because, you know, it's kind of my gateway in it, that those tend to become your favorite. But it, just like just like you guys, I was really shocked listening to Dirt, how fucking good it is. Mm-hmm. But there's also that part of me that's like, how much of this is nostalgia, rose tinted glasses, that shit. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested in see maybe some of your listeners could. Uh, well, we'll do a poll. We'll, yeah. do, we'll do a poll and, yeah. and we can also ask our listeners to ask their, you know, a lot of them have children that are, well, Ed, your kids are in their teens and twenties. Yeah. Um, sometimes we do that. We like to, you know, I'll ask friends, kids that are in the same age group. Um, one thing you, you brought up that we talk about often, probably not often enough is, um, especially if we have heated arguments. So, you know, you say there's how much emotion is there involved or nostalgia. Well, that's taste, you know, that's preference. It's all so subjective, just like whiskey based on so many factors. So to say like, no, that's a bad whiskey. Fuck you. You can't say that if someone's like, oh, I love this whiskey. Like when people say I love fireball, I want to be like, except for Carolyn's alcoholic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I want to smash you in the face or people that are like Canadian club. It's so good. Um, Jack Daniels. So yummy. And I'm like, no, you're garbage. They're not garbage. They can like whatever the fuck they like. Um, same with music. So of course, um, nostalgia plays a part. Absolutely. How can you listen to this stuff with clean ears? I don't really know if that's possible. Um, but you know, by your logic, red hot chili peppers is an amazing band. Oh, that's the only no, there are, there no. by her logic she respects people who like them she doesn't like the band herself though correct but there <laughs> are some yeah. exceptions and here here is an exception <laughs> here are the exceptions here's the exception Candle so there, is, there, is a, <laughs> there is a whiskey i dare call it whiskey brand that tried to come out with a bourbon but they don't fucking make bourbon and there are goddamn federal regulations that say what you can call a bourbon what you cannot so it's it's 
garbage, but it's also not a fucking bourbon and it's not good because it's not made properly because it's made like shit and they try to slap something on it. And of course, the everyday mainstream person has no idea. Oh, cool. Crown Royals making bourbon so cheap and I already like it. Perfect. That's like the fucking red hot chili peppers. Like we can kind of play rock and it's it's kind, you know, we're we're okay at it. And the radio stations are going to shove it down your fucking throat. So here you go. And then we're going to run around on stage like fucking monkeys. And people are going to think we're really cool. And there you have it. Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's the I, same sh- I should say, at the risk of ending our friendship in one fell swoop, that oh, I have God. genuine affection for at least two Red Hot Chili Peppers albums. Oh, it's probably right. the two we battled on the show. I need show. to fan myself. I need to fan <laughs> Which two were they? It was uh, Blood Sugar Sex and Californication. No, um, mother's <gasps> milk. Mother's oh, milk. Oh, good. Oh, good. Sex. Good man. Good man. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Older. Uh, Cal- I refuse. Yeah. Californication re- is garbage. Yeah. I refuse to be on the show when they covered Red Hot on my own fucking podcast. I could deal with their first three albums. Everything after that. Hey. Nah. Garbage. La poubelle. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Dirt is the clear winner. I mean, there you go. Yes, Ta-da! And that's it. That's our battle. That was a lot of fun, and it was. Um, we went down a lot of rabbit holes and took a lot of detours. <laughs> that was fun too. <laughs> I have that effect on podcasts. I apologize. I love that's it. Fine. That's good. I love it. <laughs> so, listeners, thank you for sticking around through this entire show. Uh, we hope you did enjoy it as much as we did, as much as we always do. Uh, and as always, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at Metal Rock Whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group. Yay. It's Under cool. our name. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty fucking cool. And um, as well, follow us individually on Instagram. You can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. Uh, that is Whiskey Save the E. Sailor. You can find me as Sailor Retro everywhere on the internets. And you can find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And uh, how about you, Travis? Where can I find you? Uh, You can find me on the Twitter at Travis Holyfield, on Instagram and Facebook, Travis M. Holyfield. All right. And hey, listeners, if you love us or even just kind of like us, um, (laughs) please hit that subscribe button and give us a review because it really does matter. And of course, tune in next week where we will have another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. And as always, fuck you, Lars. Later, everyone. Ciao.